This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, Would you turn with me to uh, Matthew? Uh, the book of Matthew, again this morning, we'll be in chapter 15, uh, and we'll, we'll read uh, verses 10 through 20. So Matthew 15, and we'll start in verse 10. <clears throat> well, would you stand? <clears throat> When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Now what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you this morning for uh, bringing us here, and Lord, we pray again that you would enable us to do all that we do here for your glory. May our hearts be filled with thanksgiving, Lord, as we consider your truth and your mercy toward us. Lord, as we read and hear the proclamation of your your own word, please grant that uh, I may deliver the message you would have delivered. Please grant that we may all hear, perceive your truth. Grant that it may be effective in our hearts so that we are changed by it. Again, may it all be for your honor and glory, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I guess the main thing that I want us to take away this morning is uh, that the, that... Well, the truth about sin, real defilement, we're going to be looking at, at that word here uh, in, in the words of Jesus and, and even in the accusation against Jesus' disciples. And probably just to sum it up, and this, this may not sound real encouraging to you, <laughs> but take heart, there's, there's good news. Um, but to probably to sum it up, just to say it this way, the, the problem is us. The problem is us. And I'm, I'm going to try to explain that as we go through here. But I know there's a tendency, uh, and I think this is just human nature, because, as we'll, as we'll point out, because of the corruption within our hearts, um, this is our nature that... Um, we tend to look for things outside of us to blame, apart from us. Um, I heard somebody say uh, yesterday, something I was listening to, that that's, that's one reason that people like protesting so much. Um, because it's, it's a way of blaming somebody or somebody else. You know, they, you've never seen anybody holding up a sign. In a, in a march saying, the problem is me, you know. 
It's always somebody else or some organization or some system or way of doing things or whatever. So, uh, what I want us to do this morning is to consider the Lord's instruction here and, and, uh, and take an honest look at what sin is, um, a little bit of the nature of it and where it resides. That's going to be the primary thing. And maybe uh, kind of expose ourselves and see that the problem is us. I think to, in order to do this I want to, and get it in context, I need to go back to the accusation made here and, and first consider what I would call a wrong view of sin. A wrong view of sin. And let me just say this. I think if we get it right, and we'll see that when we get to Jesus' response, but I think when we get it right, it will radically change our life. It, it radically changes the way we view things. It radic- I mean, outside of us. It radically changes the way that we view ourselves. Um, it helps in our understanding of what Christ has done, what salvation is all about, what redemption is. If we understand uh, these things the way that the Lord has revealed them to us here in the Scripture. So, again, for starters, let's, let's look at a wrong view of sin uh, demonstrated by the Pharisees here. And we talked about this last week. Scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem, we're told in verse 1, and they brought an accusation against Jesus' followers, verse 2, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So they, they witnessed, that is the Pharisees, witnessed Jesus' disciples eating without washing their hands. Now, everybody here is probably thinking, well, that, you know, that really is not a good, good habit. I mean, you know, we were all told, right, by our mothers or parents to wash our hands before we eat. Um, but th- this is not their, you know, hygiene is not their reasoning for it here. Uh, it's, a, it's a ceremonial exercise. What they have in mind is, I think, real... Moral defilement. That if you don't do things a certain way, or if you do things a certain way, or you touch certain things, or partake of certain things, and there are just myriads of things they would apply this to, then you have defiled yourself, not only ceremonially, you know, you've messed up the, uh, the ceremonial aspect of, of worship, but actually, uh, you've, you've defiled yourself morally. That is, you, you've really set yourself at odds with God. It's, it would be a defilement, would be the opposite of doing right, or being righteous, or being holy, being clean. There's this distinction made in the Old Testament law between the clean and the unclean. The unclean being that which is defiled. So that's what they have in view here. The, the Pharisees have, have uh, created a whole list of do's and don'ts. And this is just one of them. This is just one example. Before you eat, you wash your hands a certain way in a ceremonial act, but it is for cleansing. Cleansing before God. Uh, in John 2, when Jesus changes the water into wine... That is the reason those pots of water are at that wedding feast. They were uh, pots of water used for purification. And so the Pharisees are beside themselves here, and they make the accusation um, in the form of a question, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? In other words, this is the tradition of the elders, that you wash before you eat, and that way you are clean, you're acceptable. To God, it is part of godly living, holiness. Well, you may remember from last week, Jesus responds to the question, "Why do you um, transgress the commandment of God by your tradition?" And he goes on to give an example of how they, in keeping their traditions, which were not God ordained, 
actually, in some cases, they actually violate or annul God's law. And he gives them an example of that. So what he's doing is setting a higher priority on the actual revealed will of God, the Word of God, the commandments of God, over um, traditions of men. So essentially, uh, it's not the traditions of men that matter. It's what God has spoken, what God has ordained, what God has commanded. Now, there's an underlying problem here, and this is what we, what we come to today. <clears throat> They're thinking that if you do things a certain way, or if you don't do things a certain way, maybe, you are defiled... That, that line of thinking is wrong at its core. It's, it's a misunderstanding of what sin consists of. It's a misunderstanding of where sin resides. In other words, you, you touch something you're not supposed to touch and you, you're defiled. Or you drink something you're not supposed to drink and you're defiled. You don't do something, in this case, you don't wash your hands and you're defiled because you're unclean. And so Jesus is going to set the record straight here on defilement. What defilement um, really is. Verse 10. Call the multitude to Himself. He said to them, Hear and understand. Now that's important. Again, we see this exhortation. Just like we saw in previous verses. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Jesus is saying this is important. Of course, everything that came out of Jesus' mouth is, was important. He said himself, um, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, that's a quote from the Old Testament, and he's referencing uh, the Old Testament. But it's also true of his own words, because when he speaks, that's God speaking. So he's saying, hear, hear and understand. That is, don't just hear it with a physical ear. Get it, is what he's saying. Perceive. And the, and the implication is, by implication, he's saying, you're not getting this. The, the Pharisees are not getting this. What I'm about to say, the Pharisees are not getting it. So I want everybody to hear and understand. Verse 11. Now we come to a right view of sin, or to use the phrase from the passage here, defilement. Verse 10, um, he called the multitude to himself, said, hear and understand. Verse 11, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Now, let me say here what I'm going to do this morning is essentially skip over verses 12 through 14. And my, my plans are to come back to them tonight. Um, the, the, obviously, the, what, what verses 12 and four, through 14 are saying, that the Pharisees are offended by what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying is the truth. So the Pharisees are, are just they're offended by the truth once again, as they are so many times. So in verse 15, we come back to the concept of defilement. Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. Now, I think Peter is talking about what Jesus said in verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Uh, if you just, if you just you know, read over this kind of quickly, you might think he's talking about verse 14. That is somewhat of a parable there. Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind, talking about the Pharisees. They are blind, leaders of the blind. And then Peter says, tell us what you mean by this parable. But I think Peter is talking about what Jesus said in verse 11. The reason I think that is because that's what Jesus addresses when He, when he continues speaking. Verse 16. He kind of hits them with a uh, what I would call a mild rebuke here. Are you also still... Without understanding, the 
The Pharisees don't understand. They don't understand true defilement or sin. They've got a wrong concept, concept of sin, which means they've got a wrong concept of righteousness. What it means to be godly. What it means to, to be holy. It means they've got a wrong concept of self. They've got a wrong concept of the heart of man, or you could say it this way, the condition of man's heart. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, because Peter asked for an explanation, are, are you also still without understanding? It's as though he's saying, after all you've heard me say and all you've seen, all of the teaching, are you also without understanding? You don't get it either? That's pretty strong, but I call it a mild rebuke because he goes on to explain. He goes on to teach. He doesn't leave them without understanding. Verse 17, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. I want to stop right there for right now. Now, this, this is a, a uh, uh, at, at the risk of overusing the term, but I mean, I do this a lot with Scripture because so much of what Jesus says is radical. and so radically different from the way we think, obviously. This is a radical view of sin. I mean, when you, when you compare it to uh, the popular idea at the time. I say radical because that, that term radical means to the root. And it does. It gets to the root of the matter. It, it gets right to the cancer instead of just dealing with, dealing with the surface evidence or the, the surface symptoms. And what Jesus is going to say here strikes right at the root. He's, he's talking about rethinking the way we think about sin. And sinful deeds. Not because there's something new, not, not because the Lord is doing something new in that regard, but because they just had it wrong. And I think the same is uh, still much uh, the case today. Now, I want to, just for a little bit more emphasis, I want to look at Mark's account here. If you would, go to uh, Mark 7. Mark chapter 7. It's worded a little differently and in some ways stronger. And, uh, and I think it'll help make the point of, of how radically different Jesus' view concerning defilement is compared to that of the Pharisees. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. This is where he calls the multitude, multitude to himself. And here he says, hear me, everyone, and understand. So you've got, just worded a little differently, but the same thing. He's saying, hear and understand. And then verse 15. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. In verse 18, are you thus also without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? Now, here's the phrases I want you to notice here. And again, uh, radically different from the idea that the... uh, Scribes and Pharisees and, well, all of, all of the Jews at this time have radically different from their understanding. Verse 15, there is nothing, notice that word, nothing, nothing. I mean, I'm pointing this out because his, his statement here is emphatic. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. 
but the things which come out of him. The problem's on, on the inside, and then the outward expression of what's on the inside. But, but the root of the problem is on the inside of man. And so Jesus, again, says emphatically, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Now, jump down to verse 18 again. Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Now, the word can, in verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside can defile him. The word can in verse 15 and the word cannot in verse 18, do you not perceive whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Those are uh, derivatives of the same word um, from which we get our word dynamite. The Greek word just has to do with ability. I mean, he's saying it doesn't have the ability. Verse 15, there's nothing that enters a man from outside that has the ability to defile him. Can't happen. Nothing. In verse 18, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside doesn't have the ability to defile him? Why? Because verse 19 doesn't enter his heart. It goes through the proper channels of the body and then is eliminated, comes out of the body, but it never goes through the heart of man. And that's the issue. That's going to be important to remember. Defilement, or let me say it this way, sin is a heart matter. It's a matter of the heart. It's not in things. I think today we still have the tendency to view things as morally good or bad. And this is one reason I think this is helpful for us and if properly understood will radically change the way we think about things and the way we think about ourselves and living the Christian life. We are so prone to look outside of ourselves. To put the blame, like they do in the protests we mentioned earlier, to put the blame somewhere else. I remember um, a couple of examples here uh, from the 70s. Okay, that this, you know, I know it's sad, but the, the 70s, that was my formative years. Okay, so... No wonder, I, no wonder I have the problems that I have, right? <clears throat> Both of these come from the 70s. <laughs> Flip Wilson. Does anybody remember Flip Wilson? What was his famous line? The devil made me do it. Of course, he was a comedian. I mean, I understand that. I'm not, but that caught on, didn't it? I mean, that, that, was, that was popular. And that is the way we tend to think. The devil made me do it. Well, certainly the devil is sinful. Certainly. But, our problem is not that the devil made us do anything. That's not where it starts anyway. Um, what, what the devil does is work through deception. So, if he can entice you because of the corruptness that already exists in your heart, if He can entice you into something, um, then, he, then He can lead you into sin. But the root of the problem is our own sin. There was something, and I, I know you say, well, Adam and Eve lived in a... They were sinless. They lived in a sinless environment. And Satan came, tempted them, and they partook of the fruit. And uh, at a time when they, you know, they didn't have the, the corrupt nature and they were in a sinless environment. <clears throat> but something happened inside of them that enabled them or moved them 
to take Satan up on his offer, on his temptation. Something took place, not, not at the moment that they bit into the fruit, but prior to that. I mean, that's where the fall took place. And they were lifted up in pride, and there was a desire. Satan didn't make them eat the fruit. He, he tempted them by saying, if you eat, you'll be like God. And there was, all of a sudden, seems to me, a sinful desire to usurp God's authority. And that's when the fall took place. And once they were given over to that, that is the problem that was going on on the inside, once they were given over to that, then they had no problem uh, really following Satan's advice. Another example, again, uh, from the 70s. <laughs> and, and, you know, I was, uh, I was a big-time country music buff, so um, a lot of times that's, you know, just kind of natural that examples come from there. There was a song back in the late 70s or mid to late 70s by uh, T.G. Shepard called There's a Devil in the Bottle. You know, there's, there's a devil in the bottle and he's pulling me back again. That was a big hit. His, I think his first big hit. Why does that resonate? Well, one reason is because people like to drink but also because um, they think there's some truth to that idea that, you know, everything is somehow uh, indwelled by demons or something. And you've got these demons pulling at you. The demon of rock and roll. The demon of alcohol. There's a devil in the bottle and it wants you back. There's this propensity to look at things outside of ourself and put the blame there. I'm not such a bad person. The devil made me do it. I'm not such a bad person. I'm just a good old boy, but there's a devil in the bottle. And there's a strong pool. He's, he's overpowering me. The problem's not in the bottle. The problem's not in the alcohol. It's not in any other substance. There's no sin in alcohol. That's not where sin resides. There's no sin in tobacco. That's not where sin dwells. In fact, in the words of Jesus, and I don't think I'm misapplying them here, Verse 15, again, Mark 7, 15, There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Nothing. Nothing. That word to me seems all-inclusive. Nothing. And don't you perceive in verse 18 that whatever enters a man from outside cannot, that is, it does not have the ability to defile him. For them, the kingdom of God was all about meat and drink. Righteousness. Their whole concept of righteousness and unrighteousness centered around things outside of self. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Do this. Do that. Your fear of me, Isaiah 29, 13 says, is taught you by the precepts of men, by the commandments of men. That's the passage that we were just dealing with last week in verses 1 through 9 in Matthew 15. Go back to Matthew here. Jesus quotes it in verses 8 and 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth, but honor me with their lips. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And their whole concept of righteousness was not centered around God's revelation. 
It wasn't derived from God's revelation. It was based upon wrong thinking expressed in traditions and commandments of men. The real problem, their problem, your problem, my problem, is in the heart. I don't have to look outside of me at all to find out where my problem is. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tempted to do that. I mean, you know, if my wife would just act right, um, I'd have a lot better attitude. <laughs> if the dog wouldn't chew up the porch furniture, I'd have joy that passes all understanding. If Jordan would just do what I tell her to do, you know, the minute I tell her to do it and then not say why. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can find myriads of things to blame my problems on. You know, why I, to tell you why I get mad, why I get frustrated. Um, I, I can find myriads of things. Everything from those things I just mentioned to, you know, the... computer running slow or something. I don't know. But the problem is, is none of those things. The, the problem, my problem, is, is not my spouse. It's not my dog or my kids. It's not in a bottle. And it's not totally summed up in Satan's temptation. I mean, it's true that Satan tempts us, and that's a problem coming at us from outside. But the root of the problem is in my own heart. It's in the human heart. At the time of the flood in Genesis 6, this was the Lord's assessment of the earth Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the condition of man and of men's hearts. And when I say man, I'm including all of mankind, women. That was the condition of the heart of human beings. In Genesis 6, at the time of the flood, it's the same today. Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart. Here's, you know what? The, the fair, the, this passage in Jeremiah, what I just read you in Genesis 6, and here in Jeremiah 17, the, the Pharisees had this. And this was part of the scripture they had, and they weren't getting it. And the, the apostles, the twelve, they had this. Plus, Jesus right in front of them, teaching them. And they weren't getting it. And He's saying, are you still without understanding? And today, we have it. And we have all of the revelation of the New Testament. We, we've read in places like uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what true righteousness and right living, holiness is all about. We've, we've read the epistles written to the various churches and general epistles written to the church that give us ample instruction about true righteousness and what really defiles the danger of sin and where it resides. And too often, we, we still don't get it. We're yet without understanding. And so Jesus is saying, hear, hear and perceive. Understand, grasp this because it's going to radically change your view of self and of the world around you. And that's going to have a profound impact on how you 
live. In fact, look, look for a moment at some of the examples Jesus gives. And let me, let me I'll give you this passage I mentioned in Jer- Jeremiah 17.9, and then we'll look at the next few verses here. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, who's Jeremiah talking about? Me, and you, and every other person apart from Christ, left to ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And back to Matthew 15. Verse 17, do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? And remember Mark said it, there Mark records Jesus as saying it does not enter the heart. And, and that's the key issue. Those things from outside don't enter the heart, but it's, it's what's in the heart and issues from the heart that is our real trouble. Verse 18, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. Have we heard language like that before? We have, back in Matthew twelve thirty four. Jesus says to the Jews there, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus here says, the things which proceed out of the mouth, that is our speech, comes from the heart. And it's those things that defile a man. As long as I'm thinking of sin as being outside of me, then I have no motivation to govern my speech. But Jesus is saying, the mouth speaks from the heart. Verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, False witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. It's not what comes from the outside in. It's what comes from the inside and goes out. Notice, even things like adultery, murder, where do they start? In the heart. They proceed from the heart. David looked out uh, from his uh, mansion one day, from his house in Jerusalem, and sees Bathsheba on a rooftop. And what happens? Well, you know the story. What happens eventually is adultery. But sin was already taking place before the act of adultery. It's just like Eve when she looked at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and saw that it was a thing to be desired. And David saw Bathsheba that she was something to be desired even though she belonged to another man. He had put it as Jesus did, he had committed adultery in his heart already. The problem's in the heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, 
false witnesses, blasphemy. All these things have their origin in the heart. Mark gives a little bit a longer list. Here's what Mark lists in Mark 7. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, um, murders. And by the way, if you're wondering about the differences there, adultery and fornication. Adultery, of course, is, is adulteries is the way it's put here. But it's the act of committing adultery. Fornications um, would, in, would include all uh, forms of illicit sexual activity. Um, so not only uh, adultery, like in the case of a married man or woman, but, but uh, sexual activity prior to marriage, or you include things like homosexuality, just all forms of illicit sexual activity included in the term fornication. So, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts. Now, listen to this. Mark goes on with these examples, uh, Jesus giving these examples. Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, Pride, foolishness. Now see, as long as I think of sin as being outside of me, as long as I think of it as being, well, you know, um, how am I defiled by not washing my hands before I eat? Or it's that bottle out there. Or it's something outside of me. And as long as, as long as I don't tip the bottle... As long as I do wash my hands, then I'm good. And as long as I'm thinking that way, then there's no motivation to be free from pride, covetousness, an evil eye, foolishness. Problems inside. Charles Spurgeon said, The heart is the cage from whence these unclean birds fly forth. The problem's in the heart. Now, here's the good news. You're probably waiting for that, huh? Which you know it already. <clears throat> here's the good news. Jesus came to deal with the real problem. That's the very reason he's, he's telling these things to the Pharisees. It's not just to set them on edge or just to aggravate them or offend them. He's telling the truth because in John 8, he says, it's the knowledge of the truth that will make you free. The Jews didn't know it or, or didn't want to confess it, but they were in bondage to sin. We looked at that this morning in Sunday school. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And He's telling that to Jews who were claiming to be free. Now, they said, you know, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage to anybody. But, Jesus said, if you continue in My Word, you're My disciple indeed. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Now, as long as you've got a guy in an insane asylum who's convinced that he's on a, uh, a beach somewhere, you know, just enjoying the weather and all, he, he probably has no desire to get out of there. I mean, he's, he's deceived. He's deluded. But if you've got somebody in a cell that understands that they're confined and that they're helpless, and you tell them, there's a way to be set free. And you've got their ear. That's why Jesus is saying, hear and understand. Perceive. Understand the condition of the human heart. Understand Another way to say it, your own condition. Sin is not outside of you. It's not things coming from outside, inside, that defile you. You are defiled. And if those things are defiled at all, it's because of you. It's because they came into contact with you. 
If there's any sin in drinking alcohol, it's because of the lust that resides in my heart. The alcohol is neutral. It's just a thing. If there's any sin in these ceremonial acts, it's because of the person doing them or not doing them. Uzzah was a man who uh, walked along the cart that was carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, that was forbidden by law. You don't carry it with a cart. The priests were supposed, Levites were supposed to carry it. Uh, they put poles through little hoops and then they lift it up on their shoulder. And that's the way they were commanded to carry it. When, they, when David ordered that it be brought to Jerusalem, they decided to, um, uh, you know, I guess they were kind of like the Americans. Uh, they're innovative and they, they decided, hey, We'll just set this thing on a cart, and pull it with an ox, and, and uh, make it easy. And so they did that, and as they're traveling along with the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant represented the present, very presence of God, not a bunch of ghosts and things like you see in the Harrison Ford movie, but the, the, you know, the very presence of God, God who is holy. And as they're moving along on the cart, the ox stumbled and the cart shakes, and the ark begins to fall, and I, Uzzah reaches up to catch it. Now, allow me just a little bit of speculation here. This can't be proved, so I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know this up front, okay? But I'm just thinking, maybe, maybe Uzzah's thinking, if that thing hits the ground, it's going to be defiled. Because it's not supposed to touch the ground. Or maybe it was just a knee-jerk reaction and, and, you know, the thing's shaking and so Uzzah grabs it. But either way, it seems obvious to me that what he did not think about was, if I touch it, it's going to be defiled. His line of thinking seemed to be, it's better for it to come into contact with me than come in contact with the dirt or mud. And he was wrong. And God struck him dead right there on the spot. Because he touched the ark. And nobody's allowed to touch the ark. It's holy. Ephesians 1.7. I'm going to close with two, two verses here. Uzzah had the same problem that all of us do. He was was a sinful man. He had a human heart. Heart that's deceitful and wicked above all things. Desperately wicked. Perhaps he thought of himself as clean. If he did, he he was wrong in the truest sense. But there is a way to be made clean. I'm giving you these verses because our problem is in our heart. The sin resides in us, and Jesus came to deal with that and set us free from it. Ephesians 1 7, in him, that is in Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if sin was just on the outside of us, if it was just things that we do or don't do, or touch or don't touch, eat or don't eat, drink or don't drink, avoiding it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Just don't drink alcohol. Just make sure you wash your hands before you eat. Just don't touch a hog or whatever it is. Whatever it is that's considered unclean, just... Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Or if you're supposed to eat it, eat it. But the sin doesn't dwell on the outside of us. It dwells within us. It's in the human heart. And Jesus came. Paul says, because of what He did, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sin. That's what we needed. That's what's necessary. To be forgiven by God. That our sin problem, our heart problem be dealt with. And Paul's saying it's been dealt with in Christ. Through Him, through faith in Him, we have forgiveness of sins according to the riches 
of His grace. Similar saying in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, uh, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom, that is Jesus, the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. So, in one sense, the question is not, am I defiled or am I not defiled? You know, have I done everything right or not done everything right? Uh, Again, it may not sound encouraging, but the answer is easy. Yes, you're defiled. Yes, I'm defiled. No, we haven't done everything right. No, we haven't done everything that we should have done. We're messed up. But here's the good news. (laughs) In Christ, through faith in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. The problem's not outside of us. It's in us. But, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. And that's the good news of the Gospel. He's given us a new heart. He has dealt with the heart problem. And if you were in Sunday school this morning, you know that He's not through. We've we've just started a process. Would you stand? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.